and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Brady Howe. So Brady is the head of health and player performance at the Phoenix Suns. That means he's the perfect person today to discuss what NBA players are really doing and how you can work around a really busy game schedule to get the most out of your athletes. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Brady onto the show. So Brady, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's going to be a good time. I'm going to enjoy it, I'm sure. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Brady Howe. I am the VP of Health and Performance for the Phoenix Suns Basketball Club here within the NBA. Um, that title certainly sounds a lot uh, hectic than it actually is. So basically anything health and performance with our basketball players is kind of the name of the game. And I work with a phenomenal team of, of trying to put them in a good place to succeed. And you're uh, in charge of that, that team of uh, practitioners, right? Correct. Yeah. I work very, very closely with them. Uh, but my main role is to kind of oversee making sure that they have all the resources, um, they need to work closely with our players as well as I, I work closely with the players as well. But um, this role now has tended to find myself a little bit more of the heads in the head in the clouds rather than uh, down on the main floor like I used to be. <laughs> so you've got your own Brady Bunch there to sort that all out for you. Yeah, essentially just, you know, it's it's been a fun challenge, but it's put me in a role where I, I've learned how to bridge, uh, connect the bridge between, you know, the coaching staff, the, the management team, uh, as well as have a good pulse still with the players. And so it's it's been, like I said, it's been a extremely valuable learning curve for me, and it's one I'll never forget. Absolutely excellent, mate. It sounds like a super interesting job, and we're going to delve into some of the the difficulties and some of the interesting stuff that you're up to to, to solve those problems as well. So, I suppose the first thing that we need to touch on then is, is what does like a, a week or a month look like for you guys? Because it's not like you play one game every week. Um, you got you guys are playing games all the time. So, how does that look? Yeah, the schedule isn't easy. So let's let's touch on that a little bit. Um, that's that's really a side that many fans or just people don't consider at all um i mean there's real demands placed upon an nba athlete you know the toll mentally physically those those stressors are real so like you said uh on average in the nba we play three and a half games a week you know if that's just looking at it numbers wise but can be anywhere from 85 to 100 plus games in over a six to nine month season depending on how far you go into the playoffs um, so within a month, you're looking at, you know, 14 to 16 games, which essentially equates to playing every other day. Um, a factor in a chaotic travel schedule, uh, media obligations, these guys have to do training regimens, treatments, recovery sessions, team practice, shoot arounds the morning of game days, you know, and then just, of course, everyday life with, uh, which is a little different for them as well because, you know, everybody seems to be a fan of the NBA and basketball. So, you know, the 15 players on each team, I mean, the entire world is watching every move they make, every post they make, every comment to the, to the media. So, I mean, it's not as if they could live a normal lifestyle. 
It sounds like there's a, a lot of constraints there, uh, and especially from like a training perspective, right? So it's very difficult, of course, if you're playing so often to get loads of high quality training in. So what what are the general constraints which you then have to work under? Yeah, there could be, you know, amongst the, the few I've already listed, it could be any number of constraints they may experience. You know, let's take, for example, just the schedule. You know, there's there's the game schedule of, of so many games played, which is their high loads, right? Like they're, they're extreme bouts of, of load or workouts. Now, for, for you or I or anybody else who's not in the NBA, that'd be like having a, a very extremely intense workout essentially every other day while trying to just function like you normally would on a daily basis and so there's the game schedule the day-to-day schedules can be a little chaotic uh obviously travel but some other constraints might be resources you know are you do you have everything that you need depending on your location where you're at um another constraint is typically looked at as the current status or role of the player you know what's their health status what's their What's their recent physical load as far as minutes played, games played? Um, but I mean, could go on and on. Essentially, it varies. You know, challenges are always going to present themselves. That's that's a part of the game. That's natural. But uh, it's our it's our role to find solutions. You know, to adapt to get the job done at a high level, and kind of all starts with controlling our areas within our control and setting our players up for success. So when we let to delve into that a little bit, then we're talking about uh, training in this case. Um, how do you then prescribe training sessions around the constraints which you have? Because obviously it's not as easy as to just say, yeah, we're going to just lift uh, every day of the week. Right. No, it's always a great question. And every time it's it's presented to me, you know, I, I seem to grow a little bit more and more in my answer. So it, it comes with a loaded answer, obviously. But um, what essentially becomes the program or, you know, what's prescribed or periodized in large part comes down to the individual. You know, there's, there's many factors to consider. Uh, for example, um, uh, again, I've named some of them, but things that we're thinking of are, you know, what time of the year is it? Is it in season? Is it off season? Which typically it's mostly in season for us, but What's the what's the player or athlete's training background? You know, what's their belief system? You know, that's that's a big one that I, I like to talk about, which is just does the athlete believe in the weight room or training in general? You know, because some of these guys, uh, their genetic makeup, like they're just they're just so physically gifted that they could, you know, if they wanted to, probably just roll out of bed and do what they're doing, you know, on the court. But uh, belief system is one thing. Their age, you know, their past medical surgical histories um current medical status role position within the team there's just so many different things right that are that are factors or variables that you're you're looking into but since we have so many endless variables in front of you you got to sit you sit there and you you find yourself asking well when you know when and where do we carve out the time to train you also quickly realize that you're just one of many people pulling for the player's attentions, you know, like I said, so when you finally have their attention and you have that time carved out, it's, it's probably going to be a narrow window. It's going to be a small window. So you need to have it be, make sure it's damn intentional and it's impactful. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that bout of training or that session needs to be long or taxing to the point where you drive the guys into the dirt, 
you know, because let's be honest, like I think you and I and everybody in the SEC community knows that some some coaches still believe that if they got their job done, that's because they they really they taxed the player like they drove him into the dirt. Like, man, I, I'm, I'm proud. I had a good day today. I put I, I really <laughs> I really wore that guy out. You know, my my prescription, my my program for today was it was good. You know, what I mean, because he walked out puking or crawling to the door. <laughs> you know, so that's not the name of the game, you know, for, for us, it's, it's essentially how do we boost performance and finding those marginal gains because you're going to find marginal windows. And so uh, I'll tell you this, there's, there's two things that I've kind of always believed in. Um, one of those is anything that's worth having, it's not going to come easily. And two, if it matters to you, if it's important, then you'll find a way you'll make time for it. So that's kind of where I come back to the players and their belief systems. Cause if they believe in it, you know, you'll, you'll find them trying to make time with you to find these periods or, or windows to train. So I don't know how many variables I just listed that most people could easily use as an excuse to avoid training. And let's be honest, you and I, and many of us in the world do that on a day-to-day basis. Um, I feel attacked. But that's not- it's accurate, but I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use you and I, but I'll, I'll use myself because I'm I'm ju- I'm just guilty of it as much as the next. Um, but essentially, that gets us nowhere, right? If the name of the game is to keep these guys healthy, robust, and performing at a high level, and so this is where you have to get ultimately creative, you know. And and the term that comes to mind is is microdosing, and of course. Uh, many in our community may have heard that word. It's, it's becoming a buzzword, a catchphrase. And, and one of those, thankfully that I can, I can tee up is Corey Schlesinger, who was on our staff as well. And he, he talks a great deal about that. He's brilliant mind. And he, if you've ever listened to him, um, I mean, you just want to hear more. So that's a word that we, we toss around internally here because of, of Corey and just the verbiage that we use, but essentially microdosing is kind of how we get some of this done in our setting because we, we have such narrow windows and microdosing, it, it tends to work. It really does in this setting, you know, now you consider all those many variables and depending on the theme of the day or what the player's needs are, you'll find those windows, you'll find the microdosing patterns and, and methods to get the adaptation that we're driving through training. So um, yeah, that's, that's, essentially how we prescribe it now what we're what we prescribe is is different within those windows because that has to be and it has to have a lot of intent as well and then through, throughout the week then what might that look like when you've got those let's say uh, three games to make it easy instead of three and a half um you've got three games how are you then going to plan your week with those microdosing moments uh, one, it starts around that those game schedules, like you said. So we're watching very closely what the role of the player is. Is he a starter where he's going to play significant minutes and take a significant amount of load um, from the game? Uh, because that is obviously going to change what we prescribe in those sessions and when those sessions take place. So, for example, those players... Um, are probably getting their sessions in on a game day because with our goal, we're always trying to keep our high days high. And the following days, if they have an off day, travel days, we try to keep them extremely low. Okay. So with that, I know it might not make sense, but these guys, some of them are finding two or three windows over the course of a game day to get 
these microdosing sessions in. So um, now again, on, on the flip side, you might have a player who's, who's a rookie or a young developing player who's not just in the rotation and playing that much, who you have a lot more time to carve out and have longer sessions, more intense sessions. But for the players who are playing a large part of the season and a large, a large amount of those minutes, um, it, you might find them lifting post game. You know, they might come in and do something very short and sweet post game. There might be the same type of a short and sweet session pregame or, you know, the morning of game day. Now, of course, there are things done on non game days as well, but depending on the theme of that day, um, we're, we're trying to have, have a plan of, of what is being prescribed and how much. So obviously you've got those microdosing uh, moments in the morning, uh, potentially before the game and after the game. Uh, what kind of training are you then implementing in those moments? Because obviously it's not just um, maximum lifting, uh, power lifting type stuff. Uh, there's some interesting stuff going on there. So what are you doing within those sessions? Yeah, no, certain, certainly not. I mean, within those windows, you've got you've to have a target in mind. And now when you're talking about microdosing sessions, again, from the different perspective of maybe those key players who are playing significant minutes, um, you know, this is where I like to, I like to shoot people's uh, expectations down here where they're probably waiting for some juicy secret or me to unveil, you know, something behind the curtain that, you know, they think that is uh, the secret to the NBA player's success to making them look and perform the way that they do. But the reality is, is the things that we're trying to target in there are um, things that will provide a robustness for the athletes. Um, so essentially, what I'd like to tell you about is basically just adding isometric training into your regimen. Now, I'm sure most people have toyed with isometric training. You know, it, it's it's it stood the test of time, right? So. But that, that is one of those things that, that we're adding, you know, whether you're an athlete or general population, you know, just trying to stay in shape or functional as we age, that isometric training is one of the most impactful things that you can prescribe or add into your training. So now, again, I'm aware, you know, this isn't anything sexy. This isn't a secret, you know, and most of us, you know, watching social media, they want to see all these these crazy exercises and they want to you know, think that they have all the world time in the world to commit to these long, intense bouts of training. Like it's a scene from the Rocky movies, but uh, I mean, essentially that's not the reality. You know, the reality is is the athletes have next to zero time to train. So the way you do train has to be very efficient and effective. And that's no different than you and I, or anybody else listening that's in the general population. You know, we find ourselves rushed, rest for work, rest for taking care of our kids and, you know, you maybe only have 30 minutes. So uh, one of those things that we do add for our guys is, is isometric training, you know, or, or any athlete. So, but also before I get, you know, probably talk too much about ISOs, you know, a lot of this interest of mine and, and things that I've been toying with over the last few years, I want to give the credit to those who have striked my interest in it, you know, Corey Schlesinger is obviously one of those where he's very creative toying with the isometrics all the time. And some of our training, uh, Jeff Dolan, who, who also is on our staff, who, who works in major league baseball, um, has some great content out there. Um, and some coursework that I, I employ anybody to, 
jump on and listen to. I think everybody knows Cal Dietz and Triphasic. Um, and then also Keith Barr. Keith Barr is a, a, a tendon expert. And so we've brought him in to discuss, you know, tendon training and then things that we can do to supplement building a, a robust tendon protocol for our athletes. And so, but essentially it's just isometric training. Now, some of the advantages to incorporating ISOs, you know, is one to me, they, they've stood the test of time. You know, they're extremely healthy and viable option for everyone looking to build a robust system or improve our physical qualities. Um, they're very effective in priming the system or bringing a potentiation, you know. So, again, one of those things where if you find yourself in windows, pre-practice, pre-game, you know, all those things, like it, it can kind of bring that effect to it. Um, extremely safe practical i mean it requires obviously next to zero equipment i mean how many of us have done a wall sit or just you know a split squat you know lunge just holding pattern you know so very efficient but uh, essentially I, I love them because it's the cross bridge where you know training for health and training for performance intersect so and then when when you've got those, uh, you, you've got your ISO options, right? So it's, you've got overcoming and yielding isometrics. Um, which are you then choosing? Because obviously a wall sit is really different to, to someone who's driving their, their uh, shoulders into a, a bar, which weighs uh, 500 kilos, for example. Yeah, no, the difference between the two for sure are obviously slightly different. They look the same, but, you know, between the... Yielding, for example, the active efforts of just holding a position and just fighting gravity, whether that is, you know what I mean, like the wall sit or the the split lunge, if you will, um, where just try that alone. Like I'll just tell people out there, if you're just like myself, like just add that as uh, the first thing you do going into your, your session. You know what I mean? Get into, if it's a lower leg day, if you're trying to drive quads, glutes, you know what I mean? Get into your, get into a split lunge and, and truly just see how, how, long you can hold it for you know what i mean like if you can get anywhere from 60 seconds to you know one to two minutes i mean i promise you you're gonna shake you <laughs> know what i mean you're, you're you're gonna feel it and so that's the other thing that i like is is most of us too if you actually challenged yourself through this isometric training is one of the things that we all like when we're training right is, is you want to feel it right like now you don't want to you don't want to kill yourself, obviously, like in terms of like the intensity, but most of us, when we are training, we want to feel like we've gotten some amount of work done. Right. And I promise you, if you, if you challenge yourself to actually make your training, you're going to see your body respond in ways that you probably haven't seen in, in, in many years. So, but yeah, I mean, between the two of those, I, I think it's a combination of both. We're using yielding contract, like contractions as well as overcoming isometrics. And so, it uh, it just it depends again on the situation, the athletes, and uh, the actual session time that we're doing. You know, for example, pre or post, you know, uh, games. And your which ones are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's put it this way: How are you then prescribing those different uh, actions, and what what kind of uh, sets and reps are you looking at? Um, what kind of timings? How does that look for you? So again, those things, those things vary, but you're trying to, depending on which player, you know, or, or their role, you know, within the team, you know, you, you might be one 60 second hold, you know what I mean? For, you know, a player who's been playing a lot of games, a lot of minutes recently, whereas, uh, 
a player who hasn't been playing as many, he's going to have a longer session. He might, you know, be prescribed three or four sets, you know. And so those all obviously vary. That's that's kind of where our our coaching staff is is brilliant at knowing the athletes inside and out, knowing their needs, but also following very closely what their recent loads have been. Um, but also just the individual needs of those players, you know, and so um, how they're built, their genetic makeup, you know, some of those things might also play into the types that you're asking, you know, whether it's more so a yielding versus overcoming. And so, but I, I absolutely love adding this into my own training. Uh, it's been extremely effective. And I mean, just, just in the sense of driving physical qualities, driving performance, but also just from the, the health standpoint, you know, I mean, most of us, obviously, as we age, you know, and, and even like myself getting into my mid thirties, you start to realize, you know, tendons ache, your body aches, you know what I mean? But, um, I absolutely do believe as well that, uh, the antidote is in the poison, you know? So as most people get the tendonitis or tendinopathies or just general pains, you know, I, I do believe that if you would, if you would flirt with some of these isometrics in your training regimen or just add them, just, by themselves, um, try them a little bit each day. I promise you that, that actually driving through some of those things, um, might clear some things up that you might be feeling. Absolutely. Excellent. Mate. And I know you were also interested in some, uh, some active foot type exercises. Can you speak to how you would use, uh, those kind of things? Yeah, no, we've talked on that a little bit, but you know, that's where, you know, again, I, I give credit to Corey and some of the creative things that we're always just trying to toy with, um, just in our, our own training, which, you know, sometimes might not make sense to anybody <laughs> if yeah. they see us trying some of these things. But um, so in basketball, I mean, any sport, but basketball is predominantly seen with injuries of, you know, foot and ankle in nature. Right. So for that, we're, we're always trying to toy with proprioceptive, you know, uh, increased qualities, um, as well as just looking at the, the complex systems of the foot, you know, and ankle, you know, we're trying to, how, how do we look at this and, and mitigate these things, right? That's, that's part of the game is if we can, let's say 20% of the injuries in the NBA are the foot and ankle, but if we can get through a season without any of those things happening, I mean, it puts us one step closer to, to being, the healthier team that's hopefully performing well and standing at the end of the tunnel at the end of the season, you know, holding a trophy. So those are things we're trying to mitigate. Now, obviously I, I don't know if I love the term injury prevention because, you know, injuries are always going to just be there looming and, and can present at any time. But uh, it's just one of those things that we see and that we're watching closely in basketball. Cause not to mention, I, I, I joke with this, about the players when I'm like, if you were to watch one play, any play, in a basketball game one all of these guys feet are anywhere from a size 14 to 20 like they're just <laughs> massive they're, they are massive like they they basically just have water skis out there <laughs> and and now there's 10 athletes on the court so you've got 20 feet that are that big and most of the time they're in this narrow space all by each other jumping sprinting cutting and how they don't step or land on their other feet more often, you know, or an uneven surface is beyond me, but kind of starts to make sense when you look at these things and you look at all the injuries and the numbers and, and how they play a role in the sport. So anyways, coming back to it, those, those are some variables that we're always considering and looking at. 
now with the active foot stuff, it's basically things that we've been toying with are, is just that, right? Like how well can you balance? How well can you, uh, test or train your proprioceptive qualities? Um, so that it's, it's no different than training a squat, right? Like everybody thinks I got to train, let's squat. Well, what about just a single leg balance or, uh, let's say an isometric contraction, but it's just a, a, like kind of a calf raise, essentially go up on your toes, like as tall as you can, like where you're driving through your toes, most people's feet will begin to cramp very quickly because they just haven't done this for a while, or they haven't reached those, those qualities, um, in a long time. So I like to tell people again, let's use the example of a, of a split squat, a uh, split squat, sorry, uh, where you get into a lunge position and you're doing a isometric hold. Now you think you're, you're driving quadriceps, right? Your, your glutes, but now instead of having your foot flat on the ground, why don't you go onto the ball of your foot? So your heel comes off, right? And you're essentially doing the same isometric training, but now you've added an active foot. Um, so that's that's one of many ideas. We also will try to do some low-level plyos, um, some other isometrics that are just on uneven surfaces. That's obviously safe and tried, but uh, mostly through uh, myself or Corey or some of our staff before we would ever put it uh, into a player's program. But um, it's it's just getting creative with some of those things to get your foot active and train it just like any other quality that people are training in the gym. I think that's the super interesting. And how would you then go about building that up? Because I mean, uh, when you say, for example, you, you don't train that very often, this is completely true. Most people aren't training those kind of qualities. Um, how would you then build that up from uh, zero to uh, an elite level? Yeah, see, that's a great question. I don't know if I'll be able to answer just because, you know, it is something that we're always toying with. Um, but essentially, it's just it's trying to access areas that that hopefully we think would be impactful to improving those qualities, right. Or hopefully mitigating things that you could see, you know, in the forefoot, midfoot, you know, or just the, the ankle joint itself. So, but I guess you could look at some of it as just, I mean, we don't have anything that's, that's concrete. That's a program that would say, Oh, build, you know, in this capacity. But I think a lot of it is just finding, positional holds that then you can feel that you can you can find are challenging and and then you just give yourself long duration holds and see how well you can do with it and then you just kind of keep track of that for the athlete from the load and then just build from there you know what i mean but again it varies on the theme of the day the situations that we've we've kind of gone over you know earlier Absolutely brilliant. So Brady, massive thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Happy to do it again. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Brady. Cheers. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Brady for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down to bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to find out more about how you can train athletes to get the most out of complicated schedules, just get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you can give us a like and a share on social media too. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. 
And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me, I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.